What's up, guys? Today, uh, we sat down with Vicky Figueroa. Uh, Vicky is actually from Youngstown, Ohio, but she moved here uh, after college uh, here in Detroit. She is currently a parishioner at Corpus Christi Parish on Pembroke and Evergreen, which was my first internship parish as a deacon. Uh, Vicky does a lot for her church. She's done a lot of youth ministry things. She's done a lot of uh, things in evangelization and catechesis. Uh, but she's also done a lot of things for the Archdiocese. She sits on several councils, I know, for the Archdiocese of Detroit. She's just an overall talented person. She also works for, I believe, Channel 7. She does a lot of um, uh, executive sales for Channel 7 and a couple other marketing and promotion things for uh, Channel 7. And, and um, she's just an overall prepared woman. And we sat down with her today, and we just talked to her about her life, but about faith and about culture here in Detroit and about young women and just so many great things. It was just a great conversation. It was my first episode uh, for this podcast, and God couldn't have blessed me with a better guest than Vicki. So I hope you enjoy today's show. So, Vicki, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're welcome. This is our first episode of Faith and Culture in the D. So, Thank you so much for being our first guest. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to see what I'm going to be speaking about, and I'm excited to you know, hear what some of our other panelists have to say as well. That's right. That's right. And so just with the show, we have Brother John of the Cross. He's a Franciscan friar of what's the community? Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Based in Phoenix, Arizona with our second house here in Detroit, Michigan. That's right. And then we have my brother here, Danny Azo. Hello, hello. So we're just going to get right into it. So you, you sent us over your bio uh, last week, Vicki, and yes. I was praying about it today even, and, and I got a chance to get to meet you at Corpus Christi, right, which is in Detroit, Pembroke and Eight Mile, uh, very diverse community. Uh, I was an intern. It was my first internship as a deacon, as a transitional deacon. Unfortunately, I could only be there for the summertime. I'm at another parish now, but... I just remember there was so much stuff going on in the summer and so many different types of people. I'm talking about types of colors of people right here in this small kind of urban urban church. Do you want to just kind of talk about your experience of Corpus Christi in general? And then we'll kind of get into uh, some particulars. My experience at Corpus Christi has been has been outstanding, but you know, it's been a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and that kind of multicultural welcoming atmosphere comes top down. It really does come from the leadership, the pastoral leadership that we have there with, you know, Father Don Archambault and pretty soon Father Patrick Gagno. Then we have fantastic deacons, fantastic religious sisters that support us. That's so true. And then we have lay people who have great gifts and are allowed to use them freely in our parish. Wow. So Father Don is very good at, you know, spotting a charism that someone happens to have, and then we'll kind of put that person to work. For example, you know, if someone's very good at planting flowers, maintaining the grass, he'll put them there because, you know what, that that helps add to the welcoming environment. Um, If he sees a person, no matter their age, who's good interacting with youth and to whom somebody youth will respond, he'll put them in charge of something that has to do with our young people. We recently have one of our young adults. um, He's 35 years old. And he has begun working on our Generations of Faith team to teach 
the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders about the different generations of faith topics. This yeah. year it's about the Beatitudes. Right. So, you know, he he looks beyond the person into their gifts that they have yeah. and um, puts them in the right place. You know, Vicki, yeah. when you talk about Father Don, I would call him, once I got a chance to get to know him, mm-hmm. I called him the Steve Jobs okay. of Detroit. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so true. Like, he would yeah. recognize... Or he, w- he would recognize not just your charisms, mm-hmm. but those things you, you need to work on. Like, right. for instance, I was in charge of the project called the African Project, right? So how do we get our African brothers and sisters uh, more integrated into the parish? And, I mean, I, I talked about that at one of my, uh, in one of my homilies. But it was like, so I'm not the type of person that can sit down and put up a chart and say, we need to do this. We need to have this meeting. I just like go and start talking to people. I just, you know, and then you, you go from there. So I could never get a real sense of like, okay, what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. But I just would go talk to people. And from there, I became like an honorary uh, member of the Igbo tribe and all of that. But I don't know if I actually did what Father Don wanted. But he, it was like he did see in me that here is something we need to do, and here's someone right. that I think could do it. Um, I think at the end of the day, I, I think I did a good job. Um, I've reached out to – there's a couple of families, African families from Corpus Christi that I remain in contact to this day. And I'm sure there's a lot of them that I would love to continue to have that vibe. Mm-hmm. But before we go more into uh, your just your time at Corpus Christi, I want to get to know you. A little bit more and I see here that you've done like a lot of things you've worked for like TV stations radio stations um, even in the church you've done evangelization and catechesis uh, but where are you but you're not originally from Detroit is that right that is correct I am not from Detroit I'm from Youngstown Ohio Wow Northwest Northwest Ohio big football town okay uh, graduated from Youngstown State University Wow and um, Youngstown is a Catholic town. It's a Catholic town. It is a Catholic okay. town, So, which is both good and bad. It's good because everything there is Catholic. You know, the banks and businesses tend to close early on Good Friday. Wow. You know, everyone kind of recognizes that Friday during Lent, there's no, there's no meat. We yes. all participate in kind of a community fast. Right. And we all respond very well to the churches there. Wow. The thing about it that's challenging sometimes, though, is that your Catholicness is not intentional. It's environmental. Yeah. So you're not Catholic because you want to be. You're Catholic because everybody else everyone is. else is. Yeah. So yeah. that's one of the challenges with Youngstown, Ohio. I think they're breaking through that a lot yeah. as more and more immigrants, you know, people of different faiths, right. you know, kind of move in. Right. The university is growing, exploding, okay. recruiting more foreign students. Right. So that has helped shake the town up a little bit. Right. And Catholics are, I've noticed when I went home uh, for the last uh, holiday break, yeah. they are becoming more intentional. They're, you know, they're, um, they're inviting people yeah. to events. They're so, more open with their homily. Wow. So I, th- I think it's an exciting thing to see. Yeah, that, it, that does sound exciting. So when we talk about a, a podcast like this called Faith and Culture— mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like you grew up in a very Catholic culture, not just in the home, but like in the town itself. 
Uh, yes, it was a very Catholic culture in the town itself, even among people who were not of the Catholic faith, even, wow. even among people who were Baptist or people who may have been apostolic wow. or people who have may have been who may have been of other faiths, right. responded very well to, you know, at that time it was Bishop Malone, who was okay. our bishop, okay. responded very well to him and invited him to dinners and events and, yeah. you know, programs. And it was just a very well-respected faith community right. or faith organization right. to be a part of yeah. because everyone was a little bit Catholic in Youngstown, Ohio, no matter who you were. No matter who you were. Right. So you go from... Youngstown, Ohio, Catholic culture mm -hmm. to Detroit, Michigan. How does that happen? Well, I took a job in medical sales wow. uh, so okay. many years ago. Yes. And then I, the first town I moved to was Canton, Michigan. Okay. Um, you know, halfway between Detroit and Arbor. So interesting community because it really wasn't a faith community. Okay. It was kind of a transient community. Yeah. I moved into a beautiful apartment building. None of my neighbors went to church. So wow. I asked people where the nearest church was. No one knew. And this was before, you know, the Internet was really used as right. a daily tool. Right. So Mass.com. Yes. Yeah, so I, <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> so I found, by luck, St. John Newman in Canton. Okay. And um, it was a huge, large mega parish, which we didn't have in Youngstown, Ohio, because it was a small town. Right. And it was sometimes, I lived about a mile and a half away from the church or two miles from the church. Sometimes it was easier for me to walk than drive and park because the church was so huge and there were so many people there. Wait, it was easier to walk from your apartment <laughs> yes. to St. John Newman? Yes, it was. Wow. I didn't realize it was that big of a parish. It was parish. huge. I mean, they've expanded and they've added more space and, you know, more community space and more yeah. worship space. But I was a little I was a little reluctant, you know, because here I am, you know, African-American from Youngstown, Ohio, yeah. and I'm about to go to this big, giant mega church, and I'm sure there aren't going to be many people who look like me. Right. But I was surprised. The pastor there was Father George at the time. Okay. And he took me around and introduced me to people, introduced me to the young adult coordinator, director, was very pleasant, very nice. And some of the other parishioners were there, too. So, so let me just back up sure. real quick. So you basically kind of always practice the faith. Like when you moved here, it wasn't like, no, I'm not even going to go to church or whatnot. I'm going to still practice the Catholic faith that right. I was brought up with. Is, yes. that, is that right? That is correct. But I didn't always practice the Catholic faith before. Okay. I mean, you know, I was I was born Catholic. I didn't get baptized till I was 7. Wow. Yeah, okay. because of my mother was Baptist. Okay. So they didn't she didn't see the logic in baptizing infants. Right. She just didn't see it at that time. That's right. And that was right like around, you know, within 10 years that Vatican II had happened where it was more of a choice thing yeah. as to whether or not you baptized your kids or right. baptized your infants or That's you got right. baptized yourself. So I was a little bit older when I got when I got baptized, um, but I was still Catholic. You know, we still grew up in the Catholic household, Catholic culture. Yeah. And then around high school, I graduated, and then something strange happened. You know, I started going to Youngstown State University. You had a vision. Yep, joined sorority, and um, didn't go to church as often. Now I did have a friend who was becoming a seminarian. Yeah. Um, who would you know drag me to twelve noon mass once in a while, <laughs> but that was the extent. Yeah. That was the extent of my Catholic faith, and then. Once I graduated from college, yes, um, you know, I began exploring other faiths because I was just curious. Yeah. You know, if Catholic is good, then something else out there has to be yeah, better. I did the same thing. 
<laughs> something I did the else. Same yeah. Thing. yeah. Something else has has to be better. So you know, I actually I actually worked as a secretary at some non-denominational evangelical apostolic experiment. Experiment. Well, they they were good. They were great people who followed scripture, but I'm not exactly sure which scripture they follow. Okay. And they tried to do as many good things as they possibly could. You know, they tried to, you know, employ people. They tried to help start businesses. But it just it just felt like it was a church on on sand. Yeah. So it's not so it's a place I only stayed for a few years. Wow. Before I left, and then for a while there, there was just like this dark period yeah. where there was no f- no apparent faith in my life at all. Wow. I mean, there was a little bit, there was some morality, yeah, and there was some value, uh, but there wasn't necessarily like a spiritual firm religion. Right, right. Uh, that actually took until I moved to Detroit. Right. Okay. Or wow. And to get uh, back. Yeah, yeah let, let's just stop there for a minute. I don't know if you guys want to shed some light on that. I know a lot of young people go into that dark moment, you know, and just to see you and I know you and what you do and that you've kind of grown out of that is just a, a beautiful thing, right, from God yes. that, that just gave you that grace. And, I mean, I'm sure you guys know people, have been there yourself, right, where you're in that dar- dark moment. You don't know what's going to happen next. Um, if you want to just kind of just jump on that a little bit, that'd be great. I guess uh, the f- what I kind of wonder, Vicki, when you're talking about uh, your experience growing up Catholic and then kind of going to a non-denominational church and then getting into this this dark place, was it was it something where you felt like your, your faith was just passed on to you by your family and wasn't something you'd ever uh, taken responsibility for, or was it some other some other reason like I guess I'm curious as to what you think precipitated that well I think it was the whole idea of you know the 10 I say the 10 commandments effect you know you watch the 10 commandments movie you watch the 10 commandments movie and you know you see the Moses the Moses what was that what was that actor's name who played Charlton Heston Charlton Heston yes I think it was (laughs) I think it was the Moses you know the the kind of Moses effect that I always believed in this you know huge figure in the clouds, yeah, you know, and it wasn't real to me. Yeah. So when you graduate and you're like, is this real or is this not? Yeah. You know, not knowing that my parents had instilled in me a lot of different Catholic values, including, you know, feed the poor, clothe the naked, visit the, you know, visit the prisoner. Yeah. But I did not connect those with my faith. Right. There were just things that. It was taught. like, okay, you, you help the poor out, you do that, yes. but then you go to church on Sunday, but there's no real connection of the two right the only thing that that i knew about the catholic faith was that i just stayed through communion so <laughs> <laughs> i do i, I still know, do sometimes. i know so <laughs> it wasn't until i was older and i realized that you know those connections between what jesus said to us yeah about you know judgment of nations matthew 25 and how we are to love others as we love ourselves yeah and our response to that is you know, we see the face of Jesus in the people we wow. meet. It wasn't until wow. I made that connection that's so real that I came back. Wow, that's so beautiful. Just really quick though about the leaving after communion. So, like now that I'm a deacon, I see so many people just walking out, mm-hmm. and then even before this, before the last song, right? Right. So, like, I'm not like I don't like to sing all the time, like especially after the mass. So it's like I got the book and I can see people walking out, but I'm like. I got to sing through this whole verse. I got to sing through this whole verse. Just get through this one verse. 
and you know I got to get you know because I got to do the procession. I'm part of the I'm part of the the club now. You know what I mean? And, and that, that's something I've gotten used to now that I've been a deacon for the last what four or five months now. Um, that's that's great. That's that's all. If Danny, if you want to jump in, go right ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say um, I like how you said I wanted to question my Catholic faith to see if there was anything better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's certainly God's wisdom working because he wants us to discern what the truth is, and that's exactly what you did. So let me ask, what started to fuel you to overcome that darkness? What started to feed you? What type of spirituality or what type of inspiration to overcome that kind of spiritual desolation that you were describing? I think it was when I just ran into people that I met in Michigan, you know, who, who used to sit down and actually talk about their faith, which is not something I had done because I'd always lived in a Catholic environment, and it was just in the air. It was part of the oxygen that I breathed. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize that people could actually sit down and have a conversation about their faith. And this is one of the things that attracted me to that non-denominational church is that they would sit down and have, you know, things like Bible study and they would pray together. In the Catholic church in Youngstown, Ohio, we didn't do that at that time. You know, we went to church and then we went home to grandma's house for Sunday dinner. Yes. And that's where that extension of church, (laughs) that's where that extension of church was. So I think it was just people who were brought into my space who just sat down and prayed with me, who were Catholic like me. Yeah. And I always kept the seeds in me so that one day they just sprouted. I'm wow. like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, you can be Catholic and spiritual and forward and witness and have a rich prayer life. Yeah. You know, so that it's more intentional versus more assumptive. Yeah. Let's get into a, a deeper uh, question, too, and then there's a lot here in your bio that I, I do want to dive into as well. Sure. But who is Jesus for you, Vicki? Good, good question. Um, I, sh- I still struggle with this one, and yeah. I will struggle with it for a long, long time. But Jesus, for me, is primarily other people. Yeah. Because I see the divinity in other people. Yeah. So, you know, when I see the face of a person, I, yeah. you know, I see Jesus. I see the person who assumed humanity, who yeah. assumed sins, yes. who assumed wrongdoings, yes. who conquered, um, who became victorious. Yeah. And a little bit of that victory is in each and every one of us. Yeah. So, he, you know, he's part of the, He's part of that trinity wow. that redeemed us. Right. But he's also a little bit in us alongside us right so um, y- helping y- us. yeah i think that's a great uh vision or or how you see our lord and, and for for instance like that whole sense of you i think you hit the nail on the head i finally got it because usually i say the nail on something else but anyway the the jesus was incarnate right the mm-hmm. jesus took flesh he was a man he lived on this earth and if we can't see him and others we don't know jesus yet so I think you I think you just you just pretty much summed up everything in saying what you just said. Uh with that, mm-hmm. uh we have uh in the church right now as you know a senate uh for the youth. Mm-hmm. I've actually been following it every day. They have a press uh briefing. Uh usually, well, it's always in Italian as you know, the Vatican press office does it in Italian and so since I know Italian, I listen to it and a couple of times it's in French and sometimes uh, uh Portuguese. So um, I'm not able not able to follow everything, but I have been able to follow a good portion of what the Senate fathers are talking about. And um, I see on your bio that you're very much passionate about 
the 18 to 39-year-olds. And by the way, I'm so happy that you said 39 because I'm 37, so that includes me in that group still, so I'm very glad of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, you see the possibilities and you, you see the great things that they can do, and that's what I've been listening to with, with the Senate, the press br- briefings from the Vatican, that, that the fathers are like, wow, we, we, there's so much the youth can do. If you want to just kind of talk about what do you see in the youth today and how uh, can the church just be more open to uh, bringing them the faith, but also that they are a part of the faith. And, and you can talk about Catholics, non-Catholics, Christians, non-Christians, how, however you want to talk about it. But I, I see that that was something that you're very passionate about. And I know the many things that you've done, you know, in, in, at Corpus Christi, but also in the Archdiocese of Detroit. So I know that's something in your heart. If you just want to shed some light with us today, I would love that. That's a that's a loaded question, a loaded <laughs> a loaded um, re, uh, request. Yes, but but I will do my de- best. One of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this particular age group. Yes, and according to the U.S. Census, actually, young adult years go to 44. Wow. It's okay. 18 Good. To 44. Believe I'm keeping it, or not. it up. I'm but, keeping it but, up. But the church says 18 to 35. I say 18 to 39 because it's 2030 set. Right. There's a lot of change that goes on during those years. Yeah. I mean, you go from being an 18-year-old who graduates from high school and trying to figure out, you know, how to do your own laundry, all the way up to some 38-year-old executive lawyer MBA yeah, with a house so making a million dollars a year with three kids. Yes. So imagine the growth that has to happen for that to occur. Wow. So I think that the church doesn't connect that yet. Yeah. I think they see young adults still as, you know, backpacking across Europe and that type of thing. They don't see the diversity of gifts that I think young adults can bring. So it was my hope in working with young adults and kind of um, sectioning them off, depending on their life level and their life experience, yeah. that I could bring that to the church and bring the young adult appropriate group experience to whatever is going on. For example, right. 18 to 21-year-olds, you know, uh, like I said, learning to do their laundry, learning to, well, no more no more writing a checkout. It's now, you know, digital banking, um, you know, learning those types of things. Do you do, you do actual digital banking now? I do. Okay. I do. Brother, I do you... D- <laughs> You better not the say the Franciscans <laughs> even do digital banking. Yeah, okay. we, uh, <laughs> because you can't digital bank. Chase online. Y- your order, your order, your religious order. So as you guys know, Brother John of the Cross is a Franciscan. He takes a vow of poverty, so he can't actually have money. He can't even have a bank account, right? But his order can have a bank account. Well, there's a, there's a little there's a little bit of a caveat. The community has a bank account, and we have community credit cards, which. We can only oh. use for permission, with oh, permission, or for already designated <laughs> things nice. like right. grocery shopping or gas. But believe it or not, we actually um, are assigned a credit card with a small uh, personal allotment, which is our stipend. Oh, so cool. for things like if we ever want to go out to eat with a friend, or if we want to buy uh, a Christmas gift for one of our parents, right? Uh, or the or podcast siblings, team needs to go and eat, you know, or or the podcast <laughs> team. So we <laughs> actually Vicky. we actually do have. Um, a bank account under our own name, but it's not our money; it's our community's money. That's right. And yeah. we 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 try to refer to it as as such to keep that distinction. Okay, cool. Danny, your bank account uh, sitting well, on fat. Since I'm not under vows, I definitely uh, do online banking. Okay. And I'm trying to get my parish to switch over to Apple. Wow, products, your you know. parish? Yeah, I'm working on it. You know, wow. there's some okay. people that you know just don't trust in it, but we're we're working on that. That's so, as that's wonderful. Yeah, no, that that's great. Just really quick, 
Uh, so Danny is also youth director of a parish here in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Uh, if you want to share with us where you are, youth director, go right ahead. Yeah, so I'm at St. Hugo of the Hills, and uh, we started our program about three weeks ago. But we, we do a teen night on Sundays. Uh, we do some activities for the 7th and 8th graders during yes. the week. And right now we're actually working on an interfaith event where we have um, a congregation uh, with the Muslim community, the Jewish community, and, uh, you know, non-denominational wow. community. That's awesome. And we're all just coming together to make blankets and pillows for the homeless. So we, we'll be passing those out November 20th. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. So we're going to get back to, yeah, no, we're going to get back to, so as most people know, I have ADHD, and so I can go from one conversation to the other. I know we're talking about bank accounts right now. So do I have a, I actually do online banking as well. Like I, I remember when it first started, uh, my bank uh, could not cash checks or cannot deposit checks. Not that I get a lot of checks. I used to get just a very, very small stipend from the archdiocese. And now we get a very, very small stipend from our parish as a deacon, but you know that I can click it. But there are a lot of young people that still don't. Like I know I got a cousin that's like, no, she would never do online banking. But that's great. So you're saying you're seeing in these young people, you know, we need to form them or they're they're getting formed and 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 how do we reach them? You mentioned something in your bio that they are missing from our pews, mm-hmm. uh, Vicky. So why is that? They're missing from our pews because young adults, for the most part, have a different definition of church than we do. Wow. Um, church is the community where they are and where they are loved, whereas for us, wow. church is still an activity. It's what I do on right. Sunday. Yep. It's, it's My what, obligation. It's what you do on. It's what you do on Sunday. Yeah. So what we'll have to figure out is how do we bridge the two together? How do we give them that church experience? Yeah. And how do we make our parishioners feel as if they're part of the church, even if they're not sitting in the pews? Wow. How do we create that church for them and connect the two? Okay. And that's going to be very difficult because you have some hard line, you know, must go to mass once a week, every week, yeah. sit in that pew. You know, full and active <laughs> participation. I mean, stand, <laughs> kneel, stand, kneel. No, right. no, kneel, kneel. Right, and we have to, we have to make sure that we make church alive and real for them. Wow. And I think that starts with the message. I know in some of the information that you sent to me, particularly the podcast. Yeah, this is a non-denominational couple that was on that podcast, yeah. but they said something very real. And as I was listening to their top ten reasons why millennials don't go to church, none of the reasons dealt with the message of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's so true. All of the reasons were very temporal. Yes. They were because, you know, the church is too political. The church wants too much money. Money. You know, people are too judgmental. Yeah. And none of this deals with the kerygma. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Preach it. We are missing an opportunity to share Christ and maybe bring people along and, you know, have people experience an an encounter with Christ. Where are we going wrong? And that's what young adults want these days. Yeah. I'm convinced of that. Okay. Because there's so much noise out there right now. Yeah. There's so much conflict out there like right now. Like a podcast? Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I believe that they want to know Christ. Yeah. I believe that they want to know that truth, but no one's really giving it to them. So, so they're how, mistrustful how, of everything. Th- that I agree, Vicki. I, I think you you lay it out really well. I mean, but what can we do? What? How do we get that? young person back. I Let me just give you an example of what happened to me this summer with a young person. I, I don't want to say the church. I don't want to say the name. 
Um, but he's become a really good friend of mine. And one thing that I remember, I would just sit down and talk to him about music. He loves music. He writes music. He raps and he sings. He loves fashion. Like I would talk to him about Virgil and all of this and like a design. I showed him a shirt design that I did before. And he was just like, I was, you know, I was about to quit my job until, you know, you came around. Like, I didn't think this was possible that I could be Christian. I could be Catholic and I could, you know, like this particular artist or, you know, I could go in this particular um, type. I could do this particular job or something like that. Like he didn't know people not to toot my own horn, but like people like me existed. And I think it's when people like us, all four of us are here and we're just like ourselves Mm -hmm. with young people. Like what's up? You know what I mean? Like, it's not about, um, like you said, sit in the pew, go to mass on Sunday, listen to the preacher, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, it's encountering Jesus Christ, but it's encountering Jesus Christ in our lives in our lives today. Mm -hmm. Like, I went to go work out today, you know what I mean? And and I could talk when I'm working out or I can just, I, I'm just myself, but I'm myself because I love Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't have to start preaching to them immediately. I want to reach them where they are. And even till this day, it was funny. Uh, I hadn't spoke with this uh, guy and it, it had been a, at least a month and a half. I had uh, since then had moved to a, to a new parish and he called me one day and he was like, what's up? You know, I haven't talked to you. Right. I was like, okay, so he really wants to build up <laughs> yeah. a real relationship. And I think that's where we start. And I'm hoping that he'll come on the show. I, I reached out to him. He, he hasn't responded. Okay. But, you know, it's just it's just things like that. Just yeah. being real with young men. I know that's on my end. Right. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned something, too, that I thought was very powerful. You talk about young women and the great opportunity that the church has to young women. Can you please talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I do think there are young women who are missing in our leadership positions. Yes. Because women bring such a different dynamic, a different complementarity, or however, I'm, I know I'm butchering that word. I do apologize to our audience. That's okay. But um, th- complementive to, to men. Yes. Um, you know, women are, you know, they have that, they have that grace and they multitask, and they can think of many things at once, Mm -hmm. Um, great relationship builders. And I think there's really been an assault on womanhood. You know, people just don't appreciate, or they have tried to force women into being miniature versions of men. Wow. And as, you know, through through uh, through their careers, you know, through athleticism, through different things, and we're we're not meant to be, we're not meant to be men, we're meant to be equal partners with men. Yeah. And there's been assault on motherhood. Yeah. There's been an assault on womanhood. And I see it in women who are struggling every day between, you know, the makeup and the high heels and then turning around trying to run the 100-yard dash in, you know, 40 <laughs> seconds or something <laughs> like that. So you so know. hold on real quick. <laughs> okay. Do you have a glam room? I do. <laughs> you have a glam room. Okay. So I have a glam closet. I don't you have, have a glam, glam closet. Okay. <laughs> glam wow. Closet. <laughs> you know, I just learned about glam. <laughs> I do. <laughs> So I learned about that through a TV show. I'm not even going to say the name of the TV show. I was bored one day, and I just was binge-watching this TV show. And they were talking about the glam room. And I thought, what are they talking about a glam room? So then they go into the sh- the, the glam room, and I'm like, oh, that's where you put on your makeup and all of that. So, yeah, I, I, I get that. You, right. you mentioned something about uh, the church could do a better job to help uh, women. I would like for you, Vicky, to just please shed a little bit of light on 
how could the church uh, be more uh, of assistance to women, but particularly to young women? Well, I think to invite young women more to, you know, to be part of committee, to sit down and have a cup of coffee with them. Wow. You know, just kind of find out what's going on in their world. Yeah. To, you know, put them on pastoral councils, to put them in charge of different things. Because I, I think it's very important that that element exists in our parishes. Yeah. And the reason why young women struggle a little bit in Catholic churches is because you have, you know, the men who have a great fraternity. Yeah. And I got you know, one. I know. Have a great <laughs> fraternity. And sometimes they exclude women. And then you have older women who might struggle with a younger presence yeah. there. So, you know, my younger sisters might be hitting it from both ends. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a matter of mentors like me, you know, protecting them and bringing them along and make sure they have a seat at the table. Okay. You say protecting. I want to just protecting them from... What? From haters. Wow. The haters. The <laughs> haters the, are out there. From the haters. C- protecting them from haters and giving them that confidence, you know, because yeah. it's been ripped apart. You know, you've got all the you've got all the social media and you've yeah. got all the reality TV and so true. Kinda, and the reality drama and the young women are like, Am I good enough? Am yeah. I am I pretty enough? Yeah. Am I, you know, am I smart enough? I'm supposed to be twenty five or thirty different things and right. you know all I'm in one. Hu- yeah, and I'm I'm only human. Wow. Yet they have these incredible voices and, and this and I see great voices. I see great passion. I see great love of life. You know, I see a a lot of young women who are going to make fantastic mothers and teachers and business women and executives and lawyers. And it's like, you know, we just got to mentor and protect that to make sure that happens. You you know, as you talk about that, Vicki, this so this summer I was a part of and and even what, almost a year and a half, part of the member of the BMO, right? The Better Men Outreach. And it was great just to get you know, guys together, young guys from the city. Uh, but I, I, I often wondered, and in fact, actually, the one that they, they did at uh, St. Cecilia's or St. Charles Luanga, where they had the STEEP program where, you know, the young men go through this program and then they become, uh, what is it, iron workers and these vocational oh, yeah. jobs. But the first graduate was a woman. Ah. The first graduate was a woman. And it was just so amazing. Here this lady is in front of all these guys, all these young guys. She's the first graduate. Yeah. And I just thought it'd be nice, though, if, if we could have, like, a better woman outreacher or something like that. But I, I know that's in due time or yeah. whatever. But it, that's good you talk about that. It is in due time. And another thing, too, and I don't know how deep we want to get on the podcast, but I'll go there. <laughs> deep as you want to go. Um, you know, and I think that a lot of the images, too, show that women have to be, you know, sexual and more promiscuous than really is needed. And women just aren't wired that way. Right. I mean, we are, we, we just aren't, we just right. aren't wired that way. We just aren't wired that way to jump from person to person. We're right. wired to love and nurture wow. our relationship. Wow. And, you know, when you have women jumping around from person to person, partner yeah. to partner, yeah. and doing all of these other things to express themselves like they see on Facebook or Instagram or have all these sexually suggestive pictures right. and texts and things going on, right. it further breaks down their womanhood. Wow. So I think we have to make sure that we are... Speak that again, truth. <laughs> that's right. Protecting, protecting, witnessing, yes. being good witnesses, because there's a lot of 40 and 50 and 60-year-old moms out there finger popping. Yeah. You know, maybe they're not being the best witnesses ever. Um, wow. You know, we, you know, we need to be good witnesses to them as well, wow. um, you know, to, to bring them along and show them what, you know, show them what a true woman looks like. Wow. So. Ooh. One, I'm uh, going to clap that one up. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that was good, Vicki. Well, I'm going to jump in for a sec. One thing um, I've noticed and stuff, so my community in Phoenix, we actually live on a Native American reservation and um, operate nine mission churches there. 
And one thing which we're really blessed with is having um, lots of young women who play a core part in our ministries, whether it be the charismatic ministries uh, that we're a part of or our parish council or teaching catechism or leading our youth group. Most of our core volunteers uh, are women, and they all are very devoted to the Lord. They all have wonderful prayer lives. They're all very relatable. Uh, Most of our volunteers actually come from off the reservation, although we've begun getting more uh, Native volunteers. But I guess what I'd what I'd want to ask for you, do you think, um, do you think especially like relating to like African American or other minority cultures, do you think we have to adjust our approach a little bit to be able to make the parish a more inviting place? Because it's something where even living on a reservation, yeah. most of most of our volunteers are coming let, from. Let me just let our audience know, Brother John of the Cross is a black guy from Detroit, so he's that. That's why he's at. No, no. no, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm from joking. I'm from Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good question, though, brother. Um, that is a good question. We need to we need to adjust and keep it Catholic at the same time. Wow. Um, you know, because you know, in the African American community. It's a welcoming community. Definitely. You make, you make a mistake, we'll welcome you back home. Yeah. We, you know, we really will. We, you know, we'll, we'll take care of you, we'll feed you, we'll hug you, we'll give you a pat on the back, and we'll let you go. So definitely, we want to welcome in the, the, the richness of the preaching. We want to welcome in, you know, the, the grandmother that feeds people on Sunday. My grandmother used to always feed us on Sunday. Yes, definitely. <laughs> you know, we, we just want to welcome in that sense of struggle against the wider world yeah and um how do we how do we encourage us to you know be prophets you know speak that speak that truth in a tough world going forward and that's what and that's what makes us african americans is just the ability to exist in the struggle that's beautiful wow well vicky you mentioned mentorship and i think women now are starting to you know see their value Mm -hmm. and you know stand against the social norms that they're inferior to men so it, when you talk about mentorship, what are some good names for young women, you know, for, for some leaders to look up to? Mm. That, is, that is a good question. Uh, a lot of them are common leaders that we have. I think one, I, I don't know whether or not she's Catholic, but it'd be like um, I just saw her on TV this morning, Attorney Kim Worthy, Detroit prosecutor. I think she's a fantastic woman to look up to. Um, let me see who else can I, th- and I can think of several others. Uh, Oprah, I struggle with a little bit because she's so new agey. I mean, she's achieved a mm-hmm. lot and she's done a lot. Oh my gosh, a lot. Um, and she has brought a lot of women, you know, forward and she's brought them into business and, you know, she's done so much for the community, but sometimes her spirituality is just, is still a little immature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, once age. you're a billionaire, you know, <laughs> you just, it's harder to right. see, you know, how it all works out, but you're right. You're right. right. Oprah is very much, uh, uh, I don't know, spiritual, not so religious. Right. So we so we have to so so, so she's human. Yeah. So we have to take her kind of with the um with the good or the bad. Yeah. Uh, and those are the two that come to the top of my head. And my my, my grandmother was one. Yeah. Um, she was really good friends with a Baptist preacher who was a female, um, Reverend Elizabeth Powell. Okay. Because you know they prayed together every day, and she really kept the family together i think teachers and principals are good yeah um other attorneys are good role models for us right. um i'm trying to think who else religious sisters 
Yes. Religious sisters for the religious. Gotta brothers. make the plug. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely gotta make I the love plug. It, brother. I do have I do have a god sister who was a religious sister, though I don't think she became a religious sister for the right reasons. Mm. I think she became to escape from home. Wow. It, was a, it was a tough situation wow. for her. So um, she does she works with Native Americans as well. Oh wow. And um, I'm hoping that she does well. She hasn't spoken to any of us in about thirty years. Oh, wow. Sorry to hear yeah. That. So who is I, this again? Your my my god sister. Your god sister. Yeah. Okay. So I'm hoping that um, you know. Come around. Yeah, she'll come around one day. I'm still praying for that day. That's that's a but, but so brother, I don't know if you got your question answered. Like you're trying to say, do you guys like? I mean, you're Franciscan, right? You you are studying for the priesthood. What you'll be ordained, God willing, and God willing, four or five years. Four or five years. You're saying, do you would you need to change up your style of evangelization? If you were in an African American cu- community, that's your question. That's that's what I'm asking, and it's it's particularly coming um, from the perspective of a religious because we put a lot of emphasis on the fact that as religious we're consecrated to God, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. to a certain ex- sense we're meant to be separated from the world. Like we see our primary uh, value of our life as our witness value in the life of prayer and the life of fraternity and the love that we have for each other, and we see ourselves as being signs. Uh, that there's more f- than just this world, right. that we're signs for the kingdom of heaven. And it's, well, I think we have very relatable guys. Like, we have a college soccer player who's uh, in the order. One of our guys, uh, yeah, we have, we have some guys who have some musical talents, which, uh, which I won't say who. But, uh, <laughs> we, uh, but how would you apply that if you were in the inner city of Exactly. That's what I'm trying to ask. Well, the interesting thing is um, when I attended Sacred Heart, major seminary here mm-hmm. sister mary lou putro was my Wait, uh, plug to the sacred heart major seminary we are in their studio thank you so much Th- definitely definitely thank you um i went here this is where i got my maps degree master of arts and pastoral studies that's right and one of the things she said that made so much sense is when you encounter another culture or you're going into another culture Ask them how they want to be spoken to, related to. Yeah. Um, don't try to be one of them, be yourself. You yes. will get a lot further being authentic than you will putting on an act. That's so true. So just just be real. I mean, I think one of the reasons why Father Don is so real. Because he's himself. He, he's himself. He's, you know, kind of corny, you know, <laughs> guy from like, Canada. Like his family's from Canada. I know. <laughs> and he doesn't try to be anything else but himself. And I'm, I'm going to just say this, and I don't want to put anything out there. So, like, the rectory life of Father Down was so great. Uh, but he watches black and white films, which is totally not me. But he would say, hey, you want, you know, Deacon John, you want to join me for this film? I'm like, uh, not really. <laughs> like, I don't even know. What is that, Alfred Hitchcock or something? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yes. you're right. But he is him, right? Mm-hmm. But he's so effective because he's authentically, like, he doesn't try to, you know, start it you know, speak in slang or whatnot, and um, I think just being yourself. But there are things you do have to do a little bit differently, and I think one thing that Father Don would always say, it's not so much about exhorting faith first, but it's about hope, because so many people in the inner-city communities in Detroit um, are just trying to pay their bills. They might even have a job. So, like, how do you, brothers, a religious relate to people like that how do you sit down um with a group of guys that have been uh, shot at before right you've never i'm sure you've never experienced in your neighborhood no no it's something where it's there's certain things where i see like from our experience we can um 
we can draw a common experience from. I mean, the fact that we live uh, we live in Phoenix, I spent the last years on a Native American reservation where the crime rate is even higher than Detroit, unfortunately, mm. um, and we're just around poverty all the time. Like, we take vows of poverty, um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but we really try to do that. One reason is to be able to serve and identify mm-hmm. with the people we work with. So, right. But we can't – a difference that we have to acknowledge is – even though we live um, personally poor lives and we don't um, have expensive things, we don't have to worry about having um, our bills paid because of the generous benefactors that we have and right. um, money that the community brings in. And so I think it's we have to acknowledge that there's certain areas where we can draw common ground on, mm-hmm. but acknowledging where there's limitations in our experience yeah. and not trying to bluff or not trying to, yeah. to cover that up. Would you say, too, Vicky, just reading, too, about the African-American experience and just, just getting to know families. I mean, that's that's really what it's about. It's just reaching people where they are and just knowing that. I mean, yes. it's not like, I mean, I'm, I'm a black man, so it's not like I'm different from some other person, right? It's just get you get to know the community and where you are, and, and then you go from there. But I think some, sometimes um, in the inner city community, they feel like, oh, yeah, the, this nice group is coming in. They're going to you know, do things. And, and really the group is just there kind of condescending, you know, you know, we're here cause we got to be here, you know, there's no other church to go to. And so you really got to show that you are with the people. And I think once again, I mean, I, I'd love, I'm, I want to have father down on the show, so I don't want to talk about all the programs he runs and stuff like that, but you see someone who's like dedicated to the community that he serves in, you know, yes. Definitely, and you definitely want to respect the other culture. It'll be a different culture than your own, but read up about it and learn about it, and then kind of you know respect it, and um, you know talk to some of your talk to some of your mentors about how to handle it as well, and then make sure that you recognize the gifts that these people bring, because I think that sometimes when you know suburban you know priests or you know, suburban pastors and suburban persons come into a city parish, it's all about what they can bring yeah. versus what they can bring out in the people there. Yeah. Wow. And it should be about what they can bring out in the people there. Amen. And, and I think sometimes, yeah, I, I really, I think I really, that's awesome. I re- totally affirm that. And I think sometimes too, it's, I've noticed a, uh, just a mentality sometimes among clergy that we have to go in and fix this place. Mm-hmm. And we're going to encounter people and we're going to build people up and help draw them into a relationship with Christ. We're not trying to fix them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, yeah. we, we have to come in with humility and realize that as we have uh, gifts and talents to contribute to the community, the community also has gifts and talents and ways that they're going to contribute definitely, to us as well. Definitely, brother. So we're going to end uh, sure. our podcast. I, I just got this inspiration. In the monastery, we would always ask the Abba, the abbot, to give us a word of salvation. And so I think a good way to end uh, today's episode is just asking Vicki to give us a word of salvation, uh, whether it be just a word or a right. phrase, and we're, we're going to end there. I think it goes along with the, um, the hope that we bring to our inner city brothers and sisters. It comes from the book of James, faith without works is dead. Witnessing is very important. I think that's the book of James, correct? Mic drop. Okay. Thank you, Vicki. All right. Thank you for having me. God bless. Bye.